And as always said, to know that there's other people that's usually here, but for some reason they can't make it. And um, I always feel bad when they're sick or there's a problem, why they cannot be here. But I'm always glad that they're sick or there's a problem. They're just not staying home because they don't want to be here. <laughs> if that makes any sense to you. So tonight we have a, a very interesting study here in the book of Daniel. We're moving into chapter 12. And I thought we'd finish up tonight, but there's too much here. And I want to get some graphs to you next lesson. But I wanted to go over some things that I think are important here from this passage of Scripture. And so we're going to look at uh, Daniel chapter 1 to down through uh, verse number 3, and then we'll jump down to verse number 13 to start off with. And then as we move along, we'll read a couple more verses of Scripture. But you have your notes there, so you don't need to be looking at your cell phone. You have your notes. You, can, you don't need to be writing. Unless I say something that's not in the notes, you have permission to put that down. But I, I want you to hear what I have to say tonight. I, um, I don't know what it is about me, but I feel such an urgency, so sometimes it, it, it kind of morphs my attitude a little bit because I feel <clears throat> that time is short and it's running out, and who knows, we may not have the opportunity to be exhorted and encouraged too long um, the way things are moving here in the future. The Lord may take us out. And so I want to try to encourage you the best I possibly can to stay faithful, to stay in the Word, and not to fall back as so many are doing, not to get caught up in all the heresy that's out there, and, and to keep your eyes looking for the Lord because He is coming. Amen. There's just too much going on. Uh, there's too many unusual things happening. We're living in a day and time that I have never seen. And uh, we certainly have no idea what tomorrow holds. But we know that we're living in a hostile world that is on the, the verge of destruction. And I know that that sounds familiar, but it's, it's more evident now than ever before. So here we are coming to the last of the chapters. In chapter 11, Daniel gives us a synopsis of everything that's already talked about. He talks about the fall of the Babylonian Empire. He talks about the fall of the Persian Empire. And then he gets into the fall of the Grecian Empire. Uh, as it uh, slowly began to disintegrate after Alexander the Great uh, was killed in battle. And then his four generals took over. And then we, we come down to Epiphanes, which was a picture of the Antichrist as he ruled over a fourth part of the kingdom, as he ruled over Egypt and Macedonia and all of Israel. And then we finally come to the Roman Empire. And we're getting down now to the ten toes. And Daniel wants to know, well, what's going on? The Lord said, well, Daniel, it's sealed up for you. But for those that are living in those days, it will not be sealed up. But there are so many today living as though they don't believe that we're there. But we are. And so as we read in verse number 45 of Daniel chapter 11, we read that the Antichrist shall plant a tabernacle of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountains. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. So that gives us the understanding that we're now finally at the close of the time of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles have come in. The uh, ten-toe confederation of nations is now about ready to be smitten with the rock that comes down out of heaven, and that rock is Christ. And so it is time now for the Lord to come and set up his kingdom. But before that happens, there's going to be a time of trouble in the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week, unlike anything this world has ever seen. 
Now, remember, we told you that Daniel's 70 weeks uh, were, con were concluded at the 69th week of Messiah being cut off, their temple being destroyed, and then they were to move into the 70th week. But they did not move into the 70th week because Israel was cut off. And they were cut off, and they've been cut off now for 2,000 years. But God promised Israel that Israel would be the nation, not the church, but Israel would be the people that would usher in his kingdom. God is faithful to his promise. So since Israel rejected their Christ, Jeremiah 31, verse number 31 through 33, was still fulfilled, but it was fulfilled through the Gentiles. And God has established his covenant with us, and God has put his Holy Spirit within our hearts, and God has washed us from our iniquities and our transgressions and our iniquities. He's, he remembers no more. And he's given us an understanding of his word so that no man needs to teach us. For we have the Holy Spirit that will teach us all things. But that is yet to be fulfilled through Israel. And God made promise that it would be fulfilled. In order for God to fulfill it, the interruption of the church has to be taken out. To Israel, that's a mystery. To us, it should be a mystery, but for some reason, to many Christians today, it is a mystery because of Reformed theology and because of replacement theology. We want to be careful that we don't get caught up in those areas. And by the way, in Reformed theology, that goes all the way back to the times of Augustine. It wasn't invented by Calvin. It was invented by Augustine in Reformed theology uh, teaches that Jesus Christ only died for his elect. The rest of the world, as far as God con is concerned, they're going to go to hell because he has elected them to go to hell. And so you have to be careful of that. And be careful of anything that puts the name of a man to it. Yeah. Arminianism, Arminius taught free will, but he also taught you could, based on your free will, could later in your life, walk away from your salvation if you chose to. And so, therefore, it's not eternal until you get to heaven because you can choose to move back into unbelief. Calvinism taught you cannot walk away. You Once you are elect for salvation based on the sovereignty of God and His predestination, your salvation is secure. What God calls, God preserves. You have to be careful of these kind of doctrines. Bible doctrine just simply teaches that he is the author of eternal salvation. And that once we are truly saved, God takes that faith that is genuine faith and he finishes it because he's the author and finisher of our faith. And if, if you didn't have it to begin with, you're not going to have it at the end. But if you have it to begin with, then that faith will take you to the end because it's true faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And as we live in these last days, we're finding a more of a bombardment now between these two camps, the Arminius camp and the Calvinist camp. But we need to be in the camp of the Word of God. We're not going to follow Campbellism, we're not going to follow Whiteism, we're not going to follow Russellism, we're not going to follow Smithism, we're not going to follow John Calvinism or whatever you, ism that you want. We're going to follow the Apostle Paul, we're going to follow Peter, we're going to follow Isaiah, we're just going to follow the Word of God. And so the Bible talks about <clears throat> that there is coming a time of trouble and it is, it's Jacob's trouble. But the whole world is going to be involved in it. But since we have been called out, we're not going to be there. God is going to deliver us from this time. God makes it very clear that we have not been appointed unto wrath, but unto salvation. So in chapter 12, verse number 1, we read, At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, 
even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered. Everyone shall be, every, pardon me, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But he said to Daniel, But thou, old Daniel, shut up the words and seal up the book, or pardon me, and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, first of all, we understand the prophecy concerning what we just read is in regards to the people of Israel. God is writing unto Israel, and God is making it very clear that Israel has been appointed to go through this time called Jacob's trouble. Jacob is in reference to Israel. Israel is Jacob's name. Jacob wrestled with God, and God changed his name from a supplanter to a prince of God. And God is prophesied unto Israel what is going to come upon Israel. And when he will come to reign over the nation and when that time will be. But for now, the words are shut up for him. We read in Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 1 again that Michael will stand up that great prince for Israel. When we go over to Revelation chapter 12, again we read that this is in regards to Israel. You might want to take your Bible. Let's kind of slip away from our notes and go to the, the book of Revelation and look at verse number 6 of Revelation chapter 12. Now we know that he's speaking concerning the children of Israel because of what we read in Revelation 12 and verse number 1. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman. That woman is Israel. A woman clothed with the sun, that would be Jacob, and the moon, that would be Rachel and Leah. More Leah than Rachel, because it was Leah that gave birth unto most of the tribes. And under her feet and upon her head, and pardon me, the sun and the moon, and under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Those twelve stars are the children of Jacob uh, through the handmaids and through Rachel, uh, Leah and Rachel. And she bringeth with, and she being with child, cried travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. There appeared another wonder in heaven, behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. So here we go, We're, how Satan is going to work with the nations of the world during the tribulation period. We could take time and go over and look at Revelation 17 and 18 and get a greater view of Satan and how the dragon works through these nations. He is the prince and he works through the nations. The prince is working right now through many of these nations, getting everything set up for this time and this period. So we read in verse number 5 that the man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And so the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God and they should feed her a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's three and a half years. So after Christ ascended up into heaven, Israel was scattered to the four corners of the world, but in the latter days, Israel has been brought back. And she's just there for a season. 
She's been there now for 70 years, but Satan is about ready to drive her out of the land. When God intervenes, he will take her to a special hiding place to protect her. Because as Satan tried with Haman, as Satan tried with, with Epiphanes, as Satan tried with Hitler, as Satan has tried down through the ages of time, he will continue to try, even in our day, to bring about the total genocide of the people of Israel. And we can understand today they're pretty much hated of all nations. And uh, <clears throat> the United States is uh, the last of the allies, and we're pretty much turning back on Israel. And so in verse number six, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has this place for three and a half years. And as a result of that, there's going to be a war in heaven. Michael and his angels, they fought against the dragon. The dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Now, remember, Lucifer was kicked out of heaven, but he's still going into the presence of God. And he's accusing the brethren, but he's going to be completely kicked out of any place in heaven where he can enter into God's presence and he will come to earth. And we read when he comes to earth, there's going to be a time of trouble such as this world has never seen. And so we read in verse number 11 and verse number 12, the heavens are rejoicing, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he had but a short time. So when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman, which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she will be nourished for a time, that would be one year, times plural, that would be two years, and a half a time, that would be a half a year, three and a half years from the face of the serpent. So the serpent cast out his mouth, water as a flood, after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away in the flood, and the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimonies of Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it very clear that when the church is raptured out, God is going to fulfill His covenant as He promised. We'll see that in just a moment. As it was promised in Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning with verse number 31, and all of Israel will be saved. Their eyes will be open right now. They're just as godly and as wicked as the lost world is. But God, out of His sovereign grace, He can show mercy on whom He will show mercy. And God will save them, and God will deliver them, and 144,000 of them, 12,000 from each one of the tribes, 12 times 12, totaling 144,000, will have Messiah written in their foreheads, and they will go into all the world preaching the coming of Jesus Christ. And many Gentiles will be saved from the seed of Israel and the devil who is out to destroy Israel, but because of God's protection, he will go after their converts, those that have put their faith in the gospel of the coming kingdom. And he will have them beheaded. He will have them destroyed. The devil, the Antichrist, will cause everyone to receive his mark. Since 144,000 have the mark of God in their forehead, 
the rest of the world will receive the mark of the devil. It will be a chip and they will be, it will be the number of the devil. It will be the number of the beast. It will be the number of the false prophet. Well, it's told 666. And no man will be able to buy or sell without that number. And those that do not have that number will be hunted down and they will be beheaded. And so it is not only going to be a bad time for Israel, it's going to be a horrible time for the rest of the world. And so Michael, the archangel, in protecting Israel, will stand up and fight for Israel. And shall be delivered every one, and they shall be found, those who are delivered are those that are found written in the book. In Revelation chapter 11, we're told in those that didn't, were not found written in the book, but rather received uh, the mark of the beast, and his number will be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. So, as we can see, just starting off here with Daniel, it's not going to be a very fun time. Now, what we notice here from Revelation chapter 12 is that this is a time of trouble such as the world has never seen. The Bible makes it very clear. It'll be a time of trouble that will last for three and a half years. The tribulation period lasts for seven years. The first three and a half years is going to be war, sickness, and disease, but it will not compare to the horrors of the last three and a half years. By the way, the first three and a half years will not be a period of, of what they call pre-wrath. It's going to be bad enough with men fighting against each other in wars and pestilence and sickness and disease. But when God pours out his judgments, as we see in Revelation chapter 16, then it really gets bad. And then we see in verse number 2 through 3, the resurrection of the saved and the resurrection of the lost. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as to stars forever and ever. But go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of thy days, as we read in verse number 13. So Israel was to do this job, but since Israel in their unbelief rejected Christ, God has given this responsibility of going out and telling people how to be saved to the church. And so Israel was cut off. God's program with Israel in ushering in the kingdom and going to all the world and preaching the gospel was turned over to the Gentiles. And Israel, as we understand, was cut off because of unbelief. The Word of God makes it very clear that the resurrection that's going to take place is not only going to involve Old Testament saints, it's also going to involve tribulation saints. But the church is going to be taken out before the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to earth. What is interesting is what the Apostle Paul had to say over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse number 23, concerning Christ, the first fruits, the first resurrection. If you take your Bible, let's go there just for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Bible makes it very clear that the resurrection of the church is a mystery. Because God is going to do something much different with the earth, with the church than he will with the rest of his saints, the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. And so as we go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and I thought I had this marked so I could beat you there but I can't. 
Uh, verse number, in fact, let's go back up. I want you to look at verse number 17 there. Well, back all the way up to verse number 16. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, if Christ be not risen, paraphrased by yours truly, then we are all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Now notice the word there, firstfruits, meaning that there was the resurrection of Christ, and after his resurrection, there's going to be the resurrection of uh, those that he calls the first fruits. The resurrection of the first fruits would be that of the church. Now, if you take your Bible and go over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, you're going to see something interesting here, beginning in verse number 50. When Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, we have a passage of Scripture there that some have a very difficult time explaining. But if we understand this is the church, then we don't have a very difficult time with it. We read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter uh, 27, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, there are some that say, well, after Christ was crucified, soon after he was risen, there were many graves opened up, and they were all going into the city of Jerusalem and testifying. <laughs> well, we don't read anything about that in the history of the Gospels. So what's going on here? Now, notice the word after. You notice when we read prophecy, sometimes the Bible says that after this shall come the end. The word after there can be in reference to something that takes place much longer in time after his resurrection. So after his resurrection, Jesus Christ is going to first call out his church. He said in the Gospel of John chapter 14, when he was speaking to the disciples and they were so troubled about him going away, and he'd already established his church, and he'd already commissioned his church. He'd already instituted the Lord's table, and he'd already sent them out, and he made it very clear, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to leave you here to do a job until I come for you. And when I come for you, I'm not coming to earth. I'm taking you out of the earth. I'm taking you into heaven. I'm going to build a place for you in the holy city of God where my father's house is at. And so he said, if I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. He's not coming to earth when he comes to take his church out. We understand that that is a mystery. In my father's house. Not here on earth, but in my Father's house are many mansions. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you, and I go and prepare a place for you. So after his resurrection, now I just turned away from, but I want to read more of this, and I turned away from there, so you don't have to wait on me for to get back over here. Verse number 21 for since by man cometh death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 
but every man in his own order. Now we saw in verse number 13 that God made it very clear unto Daniel that he would be raised up in his lot. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, you understand what I'm saying, angel? What does the word lot mean? It means in the order. It means there are going to be segments of the resurrection. The Bible gives us three segments. Do you know what those three segments are? The rapture of the church is the first resurrection. The resurrection of Old Testament saints and tribulation saints is the second resurrection. Those two resurrections, the resurrection of the church saints and the resurrection of the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints are spaced apart by how many years? How many? No. They're spaced apart by seven years. The resurrection of the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints and the resurrection of the dead are a thousand years. So you have a period of a thousand and seven years in the lot of the resurrections. The first resurrection is the church. And it doesn't fit in here because it's a mystery. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Well, you're already there if you haven't lost your way. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 51. He's still on the subject of the resurrection. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So this is going to take place just before the tribulation period. This is the church. The apostle Paul gets into this mystery a little more deeper when he wrote to the Thessalonians. They had thought that the coming of Christ had already taken place and they had been left behind. And so he makes it very clear to them, no, I don't want you to sorrow about that. It's going to happen. I would not have you to sorrow as others which have no hope, he said. For if we believe that Christ died and we believe that he was buried and we believe that he rose again, well, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And he's talking about the church. Then we which are alive and remain, now he gets into the rapture, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. That's where we get the word rapture, caught up. It means to be snatched away. It means to be taken away. It means to be caught out. So once the church has been caught out, once the church has been snatched away, we understand that a mystery is a hidden truth that the Jews couldn't understand. It's been hidden from them. It's a hidden truth that other people make a mock at. The secular world, I mean, they can talk the language, but when they talk the language, they do it in a mocking sort of a way. Well, here's what these radical Christians believe. And I've, I've seen them, I've watched them on the news as they talk about what we believe, and they got it right down to the very verses. But they don't believe it. But the Word of God makes it very clear that it's going to happen, and it's going to happen when we come to the fullness of the time of the Gentiles. If you take your Bible and go over to Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 11, God <clears throat> makes it very clear that we need to be careful about our attitude toward Israel. And there are people out there today that do not believe that Israel exists, that the people over there right now are really not Jews, they're Bolsheviks, bringing about their corrupted program, and the true Jews are still scattered around the world, and, and they make up part of the church. <laughs> In fact, some of them even think that they're Jewish. The Bible makes it very clear that that's so far from the truth. 
In fact, look at verse number 11 of Romans chapter 11. I say, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? So God is very clear that in, in the fullness of time, he's going to bring Israel back into his program. Now, notice as we look over here at verse number 23. So he goes on to say, and if they abide not still in unbelief, or pardon me, I'm reading, I should need to read back up verse number 21 to make sense. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which shall fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. You see, there's going to be a segment of the church that's not going to go up. They're going to go in because of unbelief, because of what is being taught in the church and people swallowing the unbelief. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that it's only through faith that we can be saved. And there are people out there, oh, they talk it, but they're really not saved. And God makes it very clear that, that they are going to be cut off. And there's a big segment of the church today that really do not have any faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word believeth, by the way, as we understand, is in the continual tense. If you're truly saved, then you're saved to the end because you believeth. He that believeth on me have everlasting life. That means that it's a continual faith that will, it starts off with genuine faith and every day it remains genuine faith. You do not fall back. You do not go into unbelief. But those that say they believe but they, they're going to end up in the tribulation period is because of unbelief. That's the only thing that's going to keep them from being raptured out is their unbelief. Salvation is so simple that all we have to do is believe. But it has to be genuine. Genuine faith is faith that brings a transformation in your life. It does something to your heart. It does something to your walk. It gives you a brand new attitude. It changes your direction. And it remains in your life. It is consistent unto the end. You do not fall back. You continue to go forward. Those that say that they had faith and they fall back and they go back into perdition, they go back into sin, never had it. Because genuine faith will carry you through. God, which begins a good work in you, will finish it unto the end. Yeah, there'll be times that you may slip and fall. There may be times that you may stumble, but you will get up. If you're a child of God, you will get up and God will continue to work in your life. Now, I have a problem with those that have been backslidden for years and, they, and you try to witness to them and, and say, well, you know, something's wrong with your salvation. No, 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 I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm just backslidden. Well, I don't want to stand before God having that kind of condition in my life. I don't know if you can make any sense out of what we're reading here in Romans chapter 11 by believing that you can live in unbelief one day and the next day live in belief and still be saved. If it's truly belief, then it's going to remain belief. He says in verse number 25, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Notice verse number 26. And so all Israel shall be saved, that is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them, 
when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake, for the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Now God makes it very clear that this will all happen when the fullness of the Gentiles come in. God will do something in the hearts of Israel. Right now, they're an ungodly people. Right now, there, there are more gays over in Israel than there are anywhere per, per capita anywhere in the world. They have the largest gay pride parade of any place in the world there in Tel Aviv. Every year, they average more than 200,000 gays that march on, on Tel Aviv. Now they're having them in Jerusalem, as many as 20,000. And they say to the Orthodox Jews that are standing in protest of their lifestyle, we're here, we're in your face, and we're here to stay. There is a large population of Jews out there that don't even believe in God. They're atheists. But God in His mercy is going to do something in their hearts and he's going to turn them from their iniquity. We just got through reading it. Now, that's what should have happened to you when you got saved. I want to take a look over here at Jeremiah 31. And God makes it very clear, this is my covenant. When we read over there in the book of Hebrews chapter 8, make no mistake about it, Jesus Christ is the one that fulfilled this covenant. This covenant that God has established is based on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ died and he was buried and he rose again and he ascended into heaven. And he has solidified that covenant. And he has sanctified those that have entered into that covenant with eternal salvation, a redemption that lasts forever. They have been sanctified forever. They have been perfected by God. The moment the Holy Spirit entered into their life, God has done something in their hearts. When, when there's nothing done in your heart and you say that you're saved, then something's wrong. Look at it. Jeremiah 31, verse number 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts or in their inward parts. I will write them in their hearts. And will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Now look over at Hebrews chapter 10. You might want to write this down because this is not in your notes. Hebrews chapter 10. In fact, we'll go over to Hebrews chapter 8. Notice in Hebrews chapter 8, God has, through the Lord Jesus Christ, provided a better covenant. A better covenant than the Old Testament covenant. And that covenant, as we read over here in Hebrews Chapter 8, or pardon me, yes, Hebrews chapter 8, that better covenant is the covenant that we just read over in Jeremiah chapter 31. Look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second. For finding fault then, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I... Doesn't that sound familiar? That's the covenant. His laws will I put in their hearts. Look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. 
Now, we understand according to what we see in Hebrews chapter 9 that the Lord Jesus Christ, through His precious blood, is the one who has established this covenant. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 20, saying, This is the blood of the New Testament which God hath enjoined unto you. So it is Christ. Notice verse number 24. Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which is a figure of the truth, but in the heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 9. And burn offerings and sacrifices for sins has thou had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will. Above when he offered sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin. Thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, for he taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Verse number 10, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every high priest standing daily ministering, offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth inspecting till his enemies be made his footstool. That's the millennium. For by one offering he had perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness unto us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds. I will write them in their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. If you're saved, there's going to be a difference in your life. Your unbelief has fled away. There's something in your heart that has solidified the fact that God is real and your motivation for living God has power behind it through the grace of God. You have a whole new desire. Your, your whole attitude has changed because of the grace of God. By grace are we saved through faith in that of our, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So by the grace of God, I now have not only the desire to serve Him, but through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, I have the power of God to serve Him. And yes, there are times that I fall, but He lifts me back up. I don't stay there. And I'm saying to you that are out there watching through live stream, where are you tonight? If you're healthy and you're... You're well, then why are you sitting at home? Why are you forsaking the assembly of God? We're living in unusual days. Why aren't we stirred up? Why aren't we excited? I don't know how I got off on my notes, but let's get back. <clears throat> so the resurrection of the saved are those people that will make sure <clears throat> that they continue on with God's program until they are taken out. We read of something interesting when we get over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we read about the mystery of the church being taken out. Notice in verse number 6 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, And now ye know what withholdeth. Withholdeth there, what does that mean? It means to restrain or to hold back at the same time. The word letteth means that right now God is not allowing sin to run rampant in this world. If you think things are bad right now, wait until the church is taken out. This is what he's talking about. And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth. Withholdeth and letteth are the same words in the Greek. They both mean to restrain or to hold back. The mystery of iniquity doth already work only He, that is the Holy Spirit, who now holds back our restraints, 
will let until he be taken out of the way. And then the Bible makes it very clear. And then will that wicked one be revealed. When the Holy Spirit is taken out, you're going out with him. Because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Are we okay with that? You see, the Holy Spirit is in your body, but you which we know is not the body but the soul, because when God breathed in the man the breath of life, man became a living soul. Man is a soul. Man has a body. We need to understand that. You are not a body. You are a soul. When the body dies, the soul doesn't. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, then when the Holy Spirit is taken out, guess where you go? When you are raptured out, guess where you go? The flesh of this whole body is going to be changed. There are some preachers that believe that since Paul said flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, it's going to be changed and there's just going to be nothing but blood and 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 all the lard and everything else left behind, I don't know, and that might be a bloody mess. But we do know that when we're taken out, we're going to be changed. I, I personally believe that it's going to be like the body of Christ. His body wasn't left behind. It was completely changed. They didn't go in there and find flesh and blood laying on the ground, as Peter Ruckman and others teach. No, they went in there and they found nothing but grave clothes. So when we're taken out, your suit of clothes are going to be left behind. And you're going to stand before God in a robe of whatever righteousness you have earned in your faithfulness in serving Him here in this world. And so when that happens, all ungodliness is going to break loose. And then the mystery of iniquity is going to be revealed here upon this earth. And they're going to eventually find out who the Antichrist is. The Bible makes it very clear in Romans chapter 11, verse number 25, that Israel will then be grafted back into God's program once the church is taken out. Verse number 25, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be in your own conceit that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. When they come in, we go out, and Israel goes into God's program. And then we understand, according to Romans chapter 11, verse number 24 through verse number 25, that when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, that the God is going to bring about His program. His program is to make sure that all Israel is saved, for which we've already read. And then we find that, once God comes in, then He raises up. When He comes in, He comes in with us. The Apostle John said, Heaven open, and I saw Him on a white horse. And they, His angels and His saints are with Him. They're riding on white horses. And we are told that they all are robed in righteous uh, raiments of righteousness, which we are told that is the acts of their own righteousness, and they're coming with him. And when they come with him, he comes to earth, and he fights the Antichrist. There's a great slaughter called Armageddon. There are millions and millions of Gentiles that are killed. And those that are left alive, there's going to be a great judgment. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. So after the Lord comes back, it is believed some 45 days later, after He's through judging the living that's here, then He's going to raise up the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. We get that idea from what we see over in Revelation chapter, or pardon me, Daniel chapter 12, verse number 11 through verse number 12. 
We read in, in verse number 11 that the time that the daily sacrifices shall be taken away and the abomination that make a desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Now that's thirty days beyond the two and a half years. But notice what he says in verse number 13. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty-five days. Now that's 75 days beyond the two and a half years. So <clears throat> blessed are those. In other words, God, after 75 days, after the time of desolation, he says those that stand in their lot are those that are, those that are blessed. Those are the ones that are going to go into the millennial reign. Those are the Old Testament saints. And the tribulation saints. And then we have one more resurrection. It comes 1,000 years later. Satan is bound and put in a bottomless pit for 1,000 years. At the end of that 1,000 years, he's turned loose. And as the sand of the sea, tribulation population, or pardon me, millennial population of the unsaved, yes, they'll be unsaved during the millennium, will join in with Satan to battle against the saints during the millennial age and the Lord Jesus Christ and God will simply wipe out them and the entire planet. And there'll be no more earth. He'll create a new heaven, a new earth, and there'll be a great white throne and a great white throne judgment. And those that were not raised up during the resurrection of the Millennial reign of Christ are called the resurrection of death. None of those are saved. No one that stands at the resurrection of the great white throne are saved. How do we know that? Does anyone know? Can someone take me to a verse of, Bible, a verse of Scripture and show me why that those that are raised up at the great white throne resurrection, they're all lost? Where would you go to show me that? Revelation 20 and what verse? Verse number 6, exactly. Let's go there and we'll be done. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 6. The Bible makes it very clear. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death have no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. You don't want to be a part of that last resurrection. To be a part of that resurre last resurrection means that your name was not written in the Lamb's book of life. To be part of that last resurrection means that you were probably found in unbelief and since you heard the gospel over and over and over and over again, According to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 9, God has sent you strong delusions. You have believed the lie of the, of the Antichrist, and you are damned. Why? Because you had many opportunities to hear the truth, but you never received the truth. Why? Because you took pleasure in unrighteousness. There's too many people out there that's not ever heard it once. Why should you hear it over and over again and be saved? And so during the tribulation period, there are going to be many people that will hear it. According to Revelation chapter 7, there will be many tribulation saints that are saved during the tribulation. A multitude from every nation, kindred, and tongue that could not be numbered, standing before the Lord. And John asked, well, who are these and from whence came they? And he was told, they are, these are those that have come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. We'll praise the Lord. That's all I can think to say right now. You have your notes. You have any questions, ask my wife, and she'll, she'll give you an answer. Probably like get lost or something like that. No. <laughs> Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us to, for our hearts and souls to get stirred up about your word. We have before us a book that is so 
much alive and, and yet so neglected in these last days. Lord, help every one of us to become better students of your word, that we may study to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth, that we would understand that we have an amazing book, that we have a book that is inspired by you and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that through it we can be completely, truly furnished